Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, this is LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. I am really excited to talk with my guest today, my homegirl, and the Chief Vibe Officer of Joy Channel, Luna Malbro. Hey, Luna. Hey, girl. How's it going? It's good. How are you? I'm good. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm in this, this really glorious mood right now. Despite the snow tried to keep me down, but I said no. Uh, and you are in the the windy and, and today the snowy city of Chicago. So um, the snow ain't playing over there with you. <laughs> so I'm going to get started like I do with all of my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Mm, I love that question. Uh, in my labor of love, I call myself a joy evangelist. All right. I'm okay. A, I'm an enthusiast. I am the enthusiast. I, another way to call me as a professional Enneagram seven, for those of you who know about the Enneagram, I'll, for those of you who don't know, just know that my coping skills, <laughs> how I cope is just like exploring something new and fun to do um, and making the best out of everything. And obviously there's about, there's the need for balance in that, but um what my labor of love is, is really, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission as like someone who founded Joy Channel, which is the organization where I pulled in a team of creatives and change makers to really look at how do we shift the culture, right? How do we shift how we're even talking about systems of oppression? How do we focus not on the destination, but the journey? That's my labor of love. I'm like, we, we gonna be on this we may never see the promised land. <laughs> Let's just be real. Mm-hmm. We, it, <laughs> I grew up in the South. So despite the fact that I am no longer in the, uh, I guess the Southern Baptist tradition, I still like in those moments, it comes up and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, we ain't, we out of Egypt, but we didn't make it to the promised land. <laughs> And yet, and we, we're going to be wandering in this wilderness for a while. So let's make it fun. It's kind of like what I'm saying. And let's, let's uh, stop being so hard on ourselves about we didn't make it to the promised land yet. And just really say like, we're on a journey inch by inch. How do we get there? So overall, that's my labor of love. That looks a lot of different ways. Like I said, I'm an enthusiast and I use a lot of different mediums. I am a creative first. Um, facilitator, consultant, uh, trained in supporting organizations and organizational change. And um, to, to from, from like places of complacency to more anti-racist liberatory actions. And I don't really believe in using all of that jargon. At the end of the day, I feel like we're people, we're going to be humans. I help humans be humans with other humans. So that's what I do. <laughs> and that that's exactly it. Like that, that has been the discovery. And that's what I tell people. I teach people how to be human with other humans. 
That's yeah. it. That's we it. didn't even talk about that beforehand, uh, but that's literally what I've been saying. Uh, also, I leave people in places better than I find them. Hey. That's it. Um, and for the record, I call sevens party in a person. And you definitely <laughs> embody all <laughs> of that. And so thank you for sharing. And I, I can't wait to see all the places this conversation goes because it can go and probably will go so many, places. So many different <laughs> places. And so you've already started to tell us like what Joy Channel is. I would like to know... Um, kind of take us through the the founding and creation of it because you and I have done a considerable amount of work together um, and we have very similar goals and worldviews but we approach things very differently and we bring skill sets that are different um, we and so really well I must say what you say I said we complement each other really well extremely well <laughs> and so as we go, like, it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't the last time we collaborated, but the one that sticks out for me the most, because it was one of the last times before COVID, mm-hmm. is we were, uh, I don't even know for who or for what. I just remember us being in this extremely large banquet room. And so what she didn't say, which is embodied in all of her endeavors and her creativity, is she's a stand-up comic. And so we're kind of doing our thing and we're doing this training. And then I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but at some point she walks up to me and says something like, I thought I was the comic. And I'm like, listen, (laughs) the only way you keep 300 people engaged when you're trying to talk about difficult things is you learn how to embody (laughs) humor and energy and, you know, thing about comedy is it's real and and that those are the nuances of it so at some point I definitely want to talk about comedy but you know part of me is like so how did you go from like the things we've been going we've been doing together and have similar things to just like something's missing so I gotta create it what was that like oh I love that question so this is uh I I was I'm there I was very tired and my, I'd say one of my homegirl, one of my closest friends, uh, co-conspirators, and truly a mentor to me, Kate Hanissian, who's like the founder of Design Impact. Um, she like she would often say like you bring you bring so much joy wherever you go, and like you're what people need right now. They don't know it, and I feel like what I found um, coming from after living in the Bay Area and then coming to Cincinnati, I think moving to the Midwest really helped me grow as a facilitator because I was outside of this bubble where everyone was kind of saying the same thing and repeating each other in different ways. And I was in a space where people were actually trying to engage with the ideas in new ways and explore like really new ideas for them. Um, And so I had to teach things differently, but I also saw this like uh, this rigidity and this this idea of like this is work we are serious this is we're you know and I felt like where in the bay people would say like she's a stand-up comedian um, and a raunchy one but you're going to want to bring her into this business I found myself really trying to hide those aspects of who I am of like oh I'm a stand-up comedian I'm also a singer and a dancer and a performer but like don't worry about that I'm also a super serious business lady and that was like really hard on my spirit to try to have this, uh, the, the word Kate said was bifurcated, this bifurcated existence where I was living in all these different places separately. And I realized 
actually it's my creativity that makes me extremely good at what I do. It's my, it's the, the playfulness, the clown in me, like, just like you who can like get people at ease in a room and feel people's energy. And one thing, one new realization I had recently is like, what makes me a good facilitator and a good like holder of space is I've been on stages for decades now. I know a performance when I see one. So there's a lot of performative allyship and people bring their own performances when they enter these rooms of like, I'm trying to be an ally or like- Okay, I'm gonna have to pause you. Cause we, I like, we can see each other but y'all can't see us and like, I did the head and I like, come on. So I, I'm, let's lean in there. Like, yeah. I understand exactly what yeah. you're saying but I I feel like we got to say it louder for the people listening in their car and it's a lot of a lot of traffic noise right performative allyship I'm gonna talk about it from a different perspective um performance and how I see it and recognize it but girl talk on that right as I'm as a performer I'm a performer you all the time you, all, all <laughs> true story right but one who has graced a many of a stage, small stage, large stage, right? Medium stage. And so those who are on stage often have a, have watched a lot of other people on stage and just the whole thing. So when you talk about being able to um, witness and see performance, mm-hmm. talk to us about what you mean by that. Let me first start uh, where people don't think I'm going to go. I don't want to talk about white folks performing in allyship. I also, also I really want to talk about black folks and people of color mm-hmm. and how we have been assigned roles and assigned narratives. And so often we don't get a chance to really explore outside of the roles that we have been assigned. And so even in those spaces, we all are showing up in our assigned roles. I think some of us are more aware of like this, this is another way of saying like code switching, right? But it's, it's deeper than just code switching. It's also kind of like, sometimes you, you internalize uh, <laughs> the experiences that have been put on you so, so much that you don't realize that they're not you, that there are things that are thrown on you um, and you don't get a, ch- a chance to step out of that. And so I think that's one way that I see performances show up. Like we, we get typecasted in our lives. Can you give an like, example? Yeah, like I think that what I see what I see so often is um I'll I'll specifically talk to speak to black people like coming into a space where let's say I'm holding a facilitate like a a facilitation some people are like ready on guard feeling like all right, here's when I'm going to have to explain to my white coworker this or here's when I'm about to be annoyed and my goal is to say I got you. I don't want you to feel that weight right now. I want you to just allow yourself to be a person, feel those feelings. Um, we're gonna we're gonna hold this space together. I'm gonna hold this space for you. And I see some people kind of breathe and release that, like, oh, I don't have to come into this space like ready or or like vigilant that I'm gonna have to be on guard to defend myself, defend my personhood, defend my community, like someone else is like holding this narrative and the space. And I see on the flip side, I see white people enter spaces with the narrative or the sign role of, I'm a white person, I don't know anything. I'm just the white guy. I'm just, I don't know anything. Don't listen to me. I'm just the white guy, I don't know what to say. And I'm like, that's also an assigned role and a narrative that 
that if you lean into that too hard, you're not allowing yourself to explore all the spaces you could be and 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 even receive all the information and uh, experiences that people are trying to provide before you because you're stuck in that role in that narrative, right? So those are just two examples of things that I see. Um, no, that's really good. And I appreciate that because, you know, when you were talking, it reminds me, so in, yeah, that space in general, but it, it reminds me specifically when I go into spaces and it's like the DEI community, the, the DEI committee, <laughs> and it's like, they're sitting in the chairs with the roles name on it. And you can see how it plays out. And what's interesting is when you, when we who we're good at what we do, right? And we recognize this. We don't start it the way it normally starts or we don't do it. You see the confusion. Mm-hmm. You see the the almost like fear of like, oh no, what now? And yeah. to be clear, we're not saying this dissing people. We're just calling out what is. And without that, people don't have the opportunity to, to at least go like, do I do that? Mm-hmm. How do I do that? Right. It's the bracing. It's the faces they make. It's it's especially in if you're in rooms together, which we haven't been in quite some time, but the looks people give each other kind of right. like, all right, here we go. So I, I appreciate that. Okay. And so you were going to say more about something. Well, always, <laughs> but I feel like what I, so back to joy channel, what I realized is like, oh, creativity is my strength. The fact that I have had different roles is my strength. And the fact that I'm a, a stand-up comedian is a strength. And I no longer want to hide that. I want to bring that. And I want to rebuke this narrative. Um, you know, so I'm going to lean it even deeper because like <laughs> right now I am to take it to a different level. Like a, another thing that I'm, I'm fighting against that I, I, I realize is part of, of like white supremacy, puritanical, heteronormative culture that I'm trying to push back on is like, I'm also, and I'm, I'm, I'm using this word, I'm reclaiming this word. I'm a floozy. Like I'm out here, I'm dating in these streets. Like I used to be a stripper. That's something that I'm like sharing more openly with people now. Like, you know, so I was I'm a former sex worker, like, all, like, and still write about sex and all of these things. And so I bring my full self into that work as well. Um, and at this point, I can say that like, I've consulted with churches. I've consulted with uh, like sex magazines and porn studios. And what, I, what I've what i seen is at the end of the day, we all have our identities. All this intersectionality is coming into place. We all uh, we all have a lot of work to do and, the, it, it, and moving forward towards equity is gonna take a realization of like, we're all humans, we all have robust human needs. And so what happens is we enter these spaces and it's just like, this is a workplace. Okay. So I can't talk about like what what's happening in my relationship because it doesn't affect me at work, but guess what? It does boo boo, you know, cause you're a person and you're working from home also like, come on, <laughs> come on. Like, what are you talking about? So I think that people think that they could somehow, uh, what's that word? You're, you're a therapist compartmentalize yeah thank you <laughs> you're compartmentalize welcome. aspects of who they are but i'm saying whether you're eating or having sex equity is involved identity is involved mm, right? mm-hmm. so so that's the, the beauty of joy channel is 
we're not restricted. It's it's a little vague and people are like, I don't know exactly what you do. And I'm like, that's that's appropriate because we are a bespoke <laughs> agency. Like we we supported people in doing some storytelling and some video planning. We're working with organizations and unpacking. They said I'll just be I'll just be real. They're like, can you do a workplace uh, a workshop for us on decentering whiteness? And I'm like, sure. We're gonna call it creating a dope ass workplace for everybody. But they're like, but we want to decenter whiteness. And I'm like, as long as you keep on focusing on decentering whiteness, you're still you're centering whiteness. Yep. So let's let's be real. And again, that's another way where they think that they're like, give us. We want to know. We want to know rules of what we can do and what we shouldn't do and i'm like that's also white like, <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> yeah. that's still like that's literally like white narratives and uh capitalist narratives of like here's a list of things here's a list of rules and what i hear people asking me when they say but just tell us what to do is just like you want to know the rule book so you don't get caught <laughs> mm -hmm. and and here's the interesting thing about just tell me what to do right yeah. it makes sense like i get it because we have been normed with that expectation. But what's interesting is um, when, because white supremacy and the culture that it has breed it has given the rules. And so when you step outside of those rules, there are consequences, right? Mm -hmm. And so what people don't realize they're bringing to that with that ask is, I ha I'm trying to maintain the culture that white supremacy has developed. I just wanted to look a different way. Really, can you give me a different color sheet? Okay. To put on, right? I definitely don't want the white sheet. That might make me look like the Ku Klux Klan. But if you give me a rainbow one, Woo! right, then I can be an ally. Not understanding that it's still a sheet. It's right? still a sheet. It's Woo! still a sheet with eye holes. So it it is. It's it's one of those. The, the point of it is, if we can acknowledge, accept, and, and lean into the complexity of change mm. and dismantling mm. and abolitionism, mm. then we stop making it seem easy. And I think for me, that's one of the biggest frustrations. It's like, we, we human, we have mm. a tendency to we complicate things that should be simple and simplify things that are complex girl come on and it's like uh so one example i frequently use is potty training and i mean this in the aspect of let's talk um neurotypical toddler hmm. right i understand that there are complexities way beyond and and you know incontinence and all these things are right but in the context of a, a neurotypical toddler people simplify the 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 concept of um potty training to the part that it, it genuinely pisses me off right because it's like oh well you're just teaching a kid to go to the bathroom and I'm like lies and if you've ever done it <laughs> you know that's a lie what are we actually doing what we're doing is we're taking a young human with limited verbal communication skills trying to get them to understand a sensation in their body and separate that sensation from all other sensations in their body. And when they notice that sensation, making it to a designated place and performing designated tasks, like pulling down clothes and undoing buttons before the part of their brain they can't even control releases their bowels or their bladder. 
Hmm. that sounds simple to you it is not but because we get task focused make the pee go in the toilet then we neglect all of the other messaging and things that go into this little human whose template is still being developed and how they see the safety of the world how they see tasks right and so yeah, it ain't that simple. And when we only focus on, I remember when I was told, so my sister is 14 years older than me and I, this was not my experience, but she was, you know, around my grandmother and my great, great grandmother. And Mm. they would tie that poor baby to a potty for hours. Mm. And that was her potty training. And then high five themselves and pat themselves on the back because she was potty trained by 12 months. Well, if you were like restrained for hours a day, your body would probably figure something out too, right? It's yeah. not a badge of honor. Like, and so then the narrative of, well, you got to be potty trained by a certain, and if you do it early, you're good. You know, you're worthy and you're going to be some kind of tycoon genius. And now we're, and here's the thing. And now the adults around you are going to have unreasonable expectations for you to do everything before you're you know before everyone else and so just saying that to say change is not easy and it's nuanced and it's hard nuanced and it's hard that's it right and so organizations that are like you know we're going to do this when people come to me and, and and this is this is the this version and iteration of Shonda and her authenticity and ease people come to me it's so interesting they'll be like um, we'll do a meeting and they, they want to jump to solutions. And always I'm like, solutions always. Um, first of all, hi, how you doing? Uh, who are you? Who are you as an organization? You can't answer that question, but you, you ready for solutions. And so what I tell organizations, I say, listen, if your car broke down on the side of the road and you have fantastic roadside service and you know exactly where you want your car towed, and you call roadside service, but you can't tell them where you at. I don't care if you know where you want to go. They can't get to you. You know where you want to go. You want to be anti-racist. You want to be culturally humble. You want all these things. You don't even know where you at. Mm. I'm the tow truck, baby. Until you find out your destination. (laughs) I mean, until you find out your location. Yes. And we figure that out. We can't go nowhere. But you know what? That that self-work the self-awareness to figure out where you're at and who you are, that's hard. And it's really scary. And to go back to what you're saying, there's a lot of what I want to, what I want to push us away from is the unexamined uh, norms of this is about being a good person or being a bad person. Yes. And people go in there and it's just like, and that's part of the performances I see. I see I'm a good person look at me, you know, <laughs> or, and, and for those of you who can't see us, which is everybody, I'm like, I'm doing my hands. I'm, fa- you know, I'm, I'm a good person. Hello. I'm a good person. I've entered the room. I just want to let you know that I'm a good person and we're all playing those roles. And I'm just like, Hey, guess what? I don't see things as binary as that. Like we have all internalized. We, myself included, I've been doing this work for 15 plus years Every day I'm learning things about myself that I need to unpack. Um, I'm in these conversations all day long and I'm, I'm surrounded by people like Shonda Sugg, you know, <laughs> like, and I'm still learning and growing. And, but I, what I've done 
is understand that that learning and growth is going to be continual. And I've accepted that. I've accepted my messiness. I've accepted the the fact of like, okay, this is a journey. This is a path. Like, how do we, how do I explore uh, creating a sustainable rate of change, right? Sometimes that means I need to rest. Sometimes I need, it means I need to play. Sometimes I need, that means I need to cry. Sometimes it means I need to be vulnerable. Sometimes it mean, that means I need to not be vulnerable, step back and put up boundaries, right? So just understanding like all the different iterations of change and how that is and the, the, necess- the necessity of having someone else support you in that because we can't do it alone. Like these people are just like, just get, first of all, I'm, what I am going to diss is all these online DEI trainings are people who think like, oh, I'm going to just read something and then I'm going to get it. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. What is, and I think this is a therapy, um, con, con, you know, idea, but like what was the wounds that were done in relationship need to be healed in relationship. Right. Yes. So I'm sorry. This is, we are humans. We are relating with each other. If you want to talk about how to do systemic create systemic change and shift the culture to something that's anti-racist and liberation. You want to do that alone? You can't do that alone, baby. You got to yeah. do that with somebody else. Right. Well, gotta- even this, I- yeah, even this idea that I'm a good person is the narrative that was given. Mm. I have this conversation all the time. You know, it, it, it's, it's a global thing for sure, but white is right and pure and good. Mm-hmm. And so when white people step into the work, when they go, but I really am a good person. I don't blame. That's the narrative you're supposed to be, mm-hmm. right? That helped people who enslaved other people sleep at night. But I'm a good person because oh. they have food. <laughs> I mean, it's it's I'm the sorry. intestines I of the pig. Because sometimes it hits me. My fifth grade history teacher. Oh, this is gonna hurt. <laughs> it is. I just remember being a little black girl. Can we give context in, in, in Louisiana? You know, I was about to say in Louisiana. Opelousas, Louisiana, a little black girl, one of the few black kids in the class at this time to set the context right. Now, nobody would be Googling, so you find out my, what my age is because I'm keeping that a mystery. Um, David Duke was running for Senate. So this is the context. Is David Duke is running for Senate in Louisiana. Um, and my history teacher was just like, slavery wasn't that bad. Like I remember him saying slavery, the slaves had, they had food, they had shelter. They were like part of the family. I just, (laughs) and sometimes it hits me when Mm. I'm in the middle of like a facilitation or a workshop and a training (laughs) and those things come up exactly what you said. And I'm like, oof, I remember, (laughs) I remember that, but yeah, but we were good people. I'm a good person. Yeah. That narrative. We got to unpack that. We have to unpack that. And here, here's an asterisk, a free one for you. If you, if you want to know, if you really want some beginning insight into some underlying beliefs in this area, look at your parenting, (coughs) excuse me, or your philosophy around parenting. If it's, um, I get to lord over my children because I've earned that right because I'm an adult or because I've like had a part in their creation through an egg or sperm or I've carried them or I've I've nurtured what if it and if the relationship you have with a child period yours or not automatically gives you the freedom to um 
make decisions on their behalf without uh, getting their input, if it automatically allows you consent to their body in any way, even if it's for a hug or, you know, whatever, that might be beginning insight into your general belief system. Because when we start looking at how we have been culturalized, right, who, who has authority, where do you fall in that? And so that doesn't necessarily mean like, you might not be the person trying to lord over someone else. Maybe you believe that if someone has authority, they get, you don't have autonomy. So again, without saying more, because usually people like, what do you mean? It doesn't matter what I mean. I'm just giving you the thing that says, explore your philosophy on parenting and just get curious about what that says about your beliefs and other things, particularly when it comes to identity. And for the non-parents out there like me, I would say like you could explore your philosophy in the same way around authority in the workplace, right? Like, you know, and that's another thing that we're trying to re reimagine it at Joy Channel is our relationship to work, right? Like, um, what does that even look like when I go to organizations and they're just like, well, help us create a new culture. I say, let's listen to each other. What kind of culture do you want? And people are just like, even that the idea that they can have agency and creating an environment for them that they want to work, work in is outside of what people often think. It's just like, no, someone's going to tell me how it's going to be. And I'm like, no, you get to, you get to tell us. That's what, we, that's what I'm working for, like flattening, because like, let's talk about hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we think that hierarchy is it's such an unexamined norm that we expect hierarchy to be a part of a workplace. But what I'm actually building in my very own organization is a flat hierarchical system, right? So, I mean, even with the titles that we have, like I have a queen of social media. She was a princess. She got promoted to a queen. <laughs> I have a vice president of listening. I'm I'm the chief vibe officer. We have like a commander in chief of <laughs> optimism. <laughs> Don't make no sense. That's the point because mm-hmm. literally these are the folks that hold me accountable, right? My queen of social media. I literally was just like, "Bossy, you're my boss. Like I'm making you my boss. I need to be accountable. I'm accountable to them. We're accountable to each other, right? So even our relationship to hierarchy in general, yeah. You know, there's a lot of unexamined and ideas. That, that. That's so real. And even just to clarify, uh, thank you for the way you said it. And I don't even mean like your philosophy around parenting. Even if you're not a parent, you were parented or not, or maybe poorly, maybe, maybe by someone who wasn't, but even that, right? Because so when I think about that, sometimes, you know, you, I don't even just mean the people who are like, I'm going to dictate my kids. How about the people who are like, now that I had kids, my life is not my own. You know, I, I, everything I do is around them. Listen, this is not about good, bad, right, or wrong. It is about getting curious with compassion. Okay. So when it's like, oh, that is interesting. Like I, I legitimately think right now, because my children are adolescents and they require going separate places and I'm the person with the license to take them that I now don't have a life. Like my life is them. Okay. But explore that because we think, I think humans often think that the beliefs we have about one thing are singular. This is what I believe about this, but I believe something totally different about this. That's not how beliefs work, y'all. They stretch across every, it's like, have you ever seen somebody make a pizza crust? 
it starts off as this little ball of dough and then it gets kneaded and it gets stretched and flipped and then they do it again and the next thing you know it can be an eight inch a 10 inch a 16 inch pie but it started as this one little thing of dough right beliefs they stretch they encompass, they intersect. So you don't just have one belief about something, you have a whole bunch of intersecting beliefs and your brain has to make sense of that. So to your point, like whether it's exploring the idea of parenting, and but that belief in parenting will intersect with your belief of hierarchy in the workplace and okay. government and school. And that's why it's like, it's one of the biggest challenges, I think, to work in organizations and I don't just work in organizations. I, I, you know, the cool thing about joy channel is like, we support organizations and cultural shifts. We also support creatives and we do, we create things ourselves. So it's just like, really our goal is to shift culture and how do we shift culture? Look at all the different ways that we intersect with culture. Right. Um, that's where we, that's where we want to be. That's where you can find us where it's on the dance floor. If you want your, if you want your club to be more inclusive, if you want your church to be more inclusive, if you want your sex dungeon to be more inclusive, you can holler at me. <laughs> so, so the thing is, um, and inviting, right? Um, I think it's really hard when people come in and no shade, no shade to the DEI field, but I'm also trying to change the DEI field because let's be real. Um, a lot of what people were taught and i was taught the same thing like decades ago was really all about like how to how do you teach white people so a lot of the ways that people have been trained including these online programs centers whiteness centers uh the white person it doesn't talk about healing it doesn't talk about intergenerational trauma it doesn't talk about exactly what you're saying about the beliefs or narratives that we take from dating Sometimes I wish like, I really wish I could swipe on Tinder in the middle of a training because I am very much met with all my biases. <laughs> as soon as I'm swiping, I'm like, whoo, girl, that classism is there. Like, right? Like, what is this? Like, all of these different things are coming up, right? All of like, as I'm looking, but, and and that's important to examine, right? But we have this idea of like, it has nothing to do with how I show up with my coworker, but boo boo, it does, you know? So I think it's really, uh, it's really hard for people to feel vulnerable and safe enough to really explore all the ways that their beliefs may be intersecting. And so, I mean, you know, better than I do that compartmentalization <laughs> is a way to try to keep us safe. And so, so I think my theory is creativity right tapping into play tapping into imagination tapping into joy is a way to access the exploration of our beliefs in a way that's a little bit easier than me popping in and challenging someone directly someone recently said like oh we you know we like we like working with you but some people want you to like like challenge them more directly and i'm like well if you want my domination dominatrix services that's gonna be a lot more you know what i mean like i'm not here to like i think people want and expect a black lady to pop on on their screens or pop up in in person and yell at them and tell like some people are wanting that mm -hmm. and i feel like there might be a time and a place for that <laughs> but not everybody is ready and my job is to really kind of move at the pace of the group and really kind of explore where people are and hold space and 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 say like 
people are again trying to jump to the end you trying to go, exactly. go all the way to the promised land but you got to cross this wilderness you can't skip these steps you can't and i think that lead lends to the fact that people have already prescribed what it should look like in their minds <laughs> and by you know hey by the time i cry openly in one of these trainings i'm there that that's not <laughs> that, that that's that's not you know necessarily how it goes but it says hey i I have some narrative about how this is supposed to go. There's also this thing, this is belief too. I had this belief. I, I, my birthday, when I was doing a lot of my exploration, I came across an old journal and I was going through and I realized that a belief that I held for a really long time that was corroborated by life experiences and further uh, romanticized through media and such was that love hurts. Mm. And if it don't hurt, it ain't real love. And I began to explore that narrative for myself, that belief and how I get it. I get how I got there. I, I, man, right. And, and even to be real about like, I mean, am I actually ready to let it go? There is some truth there, blah, 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 blah. It's a belief. And so I think even in the context of these trainings, people are like, you know, exploring my biases and recognizing my humanity is going to be embarrassing. It's going to be humiliating. It's going to hurt. Um, so I'm either going to avoid it because I don't want to feel that, or I'm going to lean into it and sometimes inflict pain on myself mm -hmm. so that I can feel it. So I actually think I'm doing the work. Yeah. And, 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 and so being able to create, to create spaces where, people can utilize creativity and joy and imagination people like look what is this am I you know and it's amazing how when I hear things like that people often say things like what is this kindergarten and I'm like I wish I do a lot of work in school districts <laughs> and how elementary school teachers engage with me is so different than the burnt out jaded middle school mm. teachers than the somewhat optimistic, but I'm tired high school team. There is an energy mm -hmm. that elementary school teachers have, particularly those who teach kindergarten, preschool, kindergarten, first, second grade, because there's this understanding of like, this gotta be fun. I gotta be creative. Things have to be colorful. Like if I want them to learn, I have to engage them. What happens that at What's a certain it? point, yes. everything becomes gray and taupe and beige and sit down, don't move. Like kindergartners, they're like, okay, we need wiggle time at least five times before lunch because they gotta get their wiggles out. And they music, they need a little song, yep. they need a nap, right? <laughs> They need to be able to actively participate. They can't just sit down and be talked to. And then yet, and like people, clearly the people who designed our education system knew absolutely nothing about how the brain and body works. And I say that all the time from our standardized testing to how our classrooms are set up, but they got it when they were in preschool. Mm -hmm. They got it when they were in kindergarten, but then you go into a sixth grade classroom it looks nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing like that kindergarten classroom. And everybody is griping and groaning about these hormonal, attitudinal, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I mean, is it them or is it you? Yes, they change. But what if they, what if their classroom looked like a kindergarten classroom? What if you actually derived joy mm -hmm. from their movement and their giggles? And 
I wonder how that would be different, right? So again, like you're saying, creating spaces where we're turning these narratives on their head or at least slowly starting to twist them. Yep. Curiosity with compassion. I love that you say that. I, I, I believe in that. And I think, you know, I will say this, uh, it could be unraveling, right? It could feel unraveling to really be like, what? Like, love doesn't have to hurt. I've been holding this belief for how long? This has affected how much, right? Just being like, what? I've internalized that blackness is inferior. I'm a grown ass woman. I'm 45. You know, I'm still, I'm still holding this. This could be unraveling, right? And it's really hard to experience that around people that can feel that you don't feel safe with. I Mm -hmm. I do want to acknowledge all of that. Right. Um, and it's important that we do hold space for curiosity because you know, you, you know, you've trained with me, you know, what I love to do is talk about the four eyes, right? People think that I'm going to be coming them talking about, but I always like, let's talk about, let's explore our ideologies and what we've internalized. People really want to focus on the interpersonal. People love talking about institutional. I'm like, baby, it's similar to you in the tow truck. I'm like, if you're not curious about your own ideologies or how you internalize, you want to talk about fixing institutions, but you can't look at yourself. (laughs) I'm sorry, you're part of institutions, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that it's, you know, it's really challenging. Um, so I, I just, I, I just recognize the difficulty at hand, right? The, and to, to me, as someone who holds that space, has been holding this space, it's hard on me. <laughs> so I have to make sure that I tap, I lean into my, uh, party in a person, Enneagram seven, all my strategies, right? Like I'm like, I'm, I'm making sure I'm hitting up my dance classes. You know, I'm like making sure I'm spiritually aligned and in, in the ways that I need to, for me to be able to bring my full self. Cause unfortunately I cannot um, take my full self out of this work. Like all of those things I bring are important in order to like hold these spaces and have these explorations. Cause I'm still constantly being curious about my own ideologies as well. And what I've been internalized as well, right? So. Absolutely. And what a gift. What I will say is like, I just want to name how fortunate, how blessed, how unbelievably like whatever other word I can put there, people in organizations are that people like you, Luna, and people like me bring our full selves. Like, I think it's one of those things, and this is um, something that I've just kind of been sitting with. I call it, I put it in the crock pot. That's a J thing. Put it in the crock pot, let it simmer. Like it's not forefront of my mind. It's not on the front burner. I'm not tending and stirring, but it's just in the crock pot of like, for some people, they want recognition. And maybe that's like name and lights. Some people just like, forget my name and lights, pay me my money. Uh You know, whatever. And I'm exploring what, what is this thing? Like there is a deep, deep personal satisfaction that I get out of my work. And for the longest, I was conditioned through many avenues to believe, and that's it. And now I'm like, not at it, pay me. So, <laughs> you know, and I'm, ex- I'm sitting in, in the crock pot. It's like, do, do I want this recognition? Does that matter to me? But of all things, what I've been sitting with, is like, I don't think y'all get it. And y'all is a general y'all. Like, oh, yeah. I don't think y'all get it. I think because Luna, we make it look easy we we are very fluid it's we are who we are us we are who we are and we have but here's the thing like we did the work 
Hmm. Okay. Doing the work. To get here and, and constantly doing the work. So yeah, I really don't think people get it. And what I mean by that is, yes, we make it look easy. We, we do. I think we make it look seamless, but that's not even just it. People benefit from us bringing our full selves all the time, but I also feel like they don't put respect on what it took to be able to do that. And I just think that's important. We're not just coming with the tools because if we were coming with the tools, we would just be like any other DEI program or, you know, whatever. But what happens is the combination of skills, tools, and toys combined with who we actually are and our authenticity and our transparency leads to these transformative moments and experiences and healing but people don't understand the cost sometimes. And so I'm saying this, <clears throat> doing this podcast where only Luna can see me sitting in my towel, <laughs> okay? Because this past weekend, I did one of my intensive healing experiences, which I love doing. Uh, I know that I am specifically gifted and called to do them. They are amazing and I love the genuine, like I, I struggle to find words mm. to describe what these, um, what these, these experiences do for people. I know what they've done for me as a participant, but I'm saying all that to say as grateful as the participants are genuinely, they have no idea that last night I was like sobbing because mm-hmm. I was so exhausted. <clears throat> I couldn't sleep. And I don't know if anyone has ever felt that level of exhaustion where like your body is like, I have zero gas left, Yeah. but there's this energy coursing through it because I spent anywhere from 30 to 35 hours in three days holding four separate people's deepest darkest traumas and helping guide them to healing in those spaces and I was a mess I was so exhausted well I'm still being curious about this because it could be a number of things but I wet the bed Mm. woke up this morning and had wet the bed and some of my curiosities are leading to I was so exhausted that I literally couldn't come out of sleep or out of you know to wake up and go it could be so many like all I'm saying is I want to be real about that. Like that person you admire, you know, that person doing the work, the person that you want to extract from, because it's some extractors out there. What do I mean by that? Oh, can I pick your brain? Oh, just one oh, thing. Hey, talk. Um, I just want to, I just want to run this by you. Um, what do you think about this? Oh, I want to be your friend. You don't want to be their friend. You just want unfettered access to their genius, to their wisdom, to their energy. When you do that to people, you don't realize like how much of their, their selves, their body, their mind, their spirit, their soul, their family, that's away from my family a whole weekend goes into making sure that you have a transformative experience. Mm -hmm. And so I'm putting that out there. So y'all can put some respect on the names and the the experiences out here. And, and really, yeah, I want you to, first of all, pay them what they charge, pay Mm -hmm. them more if you can, Um, pay them more if you can, acknowledge it, but even 
beyond the external expressions of this thing, just understand, like it, it costs a lot to do this work in, in various capacities. And I, I just think it's very important uh, for people to know that. I appreciate you saying that. And two things I want to say to what you spoke to just now. One, for the for the folks, you know, who don't think, who don't agree, I, you know, there are folks who don't agree with my methods. There are folks who are just like, what does, why are you talking about joy? You know, I am a person who has to do this work and hold this space. How sustainable do you think this is going to be for us, the folks who are holding this space and moving this movement along? You want to you want to talk about the lack of joy? Let's talk about the burnout from the Black Lives Matter leaders and founders and them speaking to that. Let's talk about the uh, the weight on the black body from already having to hold the trauma of racism and I'm a woman on top of that. So, you know, I have the trauma. I'm like, you already know, mm -hmm. right? I'm a survivor of all types of things, right? So I just want people to say, if you don't like the process or you feel like it should be more informative this way or that way, you also have to respect the way that we, the folks who are doing this work are choosing to do it in a way that aligns with our spirit and our mental health, right? And so that's number one. Number two, Again, I thank you, Shonda, because you're one of those people that, you know, I, I feel like one of my gifts is if I if I let myself shine, it gives someone else the uh, ability to shine as well or like the permission that they, we no one needs, but we need mm -hmm. to shine as well. And just the way that you are able to come on in here on a podcast and just be like, yeah, I wet the bed this morning, right? We all need to hear that because mm -hmm. we are all collectively wetting the bed in one way or another, right? Yeah. So you just being able to acknowledge that is a gift. Well, and I just thank you for saying that and just freeing up somebody else. Thank you. And it's real. Like bedwetting is a real a thing. And I, I mean, outside of medical concerns and outside of that, where people can wrap a narrative or reason around it. And I want to normalize that because I know there are people out there who are feeling some kind of shame about it like and and that's why I'm curious because I know um yeah it it's it it I'm I I, I, ref, I had to stop myself from assigning a narrative oh it was because I was tired I, I mean maybe but I don't know and because I'm going to be curious with compassion I'm going to put that in the crock pot and I'm gonna I'm gonna see what emerges because I don't want to box in what's happening in my body and in my life into mm. convenient narratives because then I stop looking and that's a message for people. Message. Message. Stop <laughs> assigning the narrative. Even if you think you are so right, can mm. you leave space for that 0.05% that something else could be contributing? Because as soon as you lock in the answer, it's like, what was the show to be a millionaire? Or do you want to yeah, be a millionaire? Whatever. It. It's like final answer. As soon as you say final answer, you stop your ability to consider other things, but you can talk out the process all day long until you say final answer. And sometimes we don't have to say final answer. Sometimes we can just leave it open so that as new data approaches, it doesn't, because what happens, and I've said this multiple times, once you declare a thing to be true, your brain's job is to process incoming data in service of the narrative you chose. And so I, I, I don't want my brain to alter data that's coming in because I've already said this is true. I want to leave it open enough that incoming data can be just that incoming data. And um, yeah, so thank you for that because it's real. And and I, I that that is, that's a thing for me. 
I'm going to say the thing. And I'm going to say the thing without shame. And sometimes there is shame and I'm going to still say it because I want people to have an example Mm -hmm. of being like, oh, I don't have to be all put together all the time. I don't have to exude this. That's a trauma response. That's a trauma response. And it's also, (laughs) it's white supremacy culture at work, perfectionism. Hey, also, can I just point out the fact that we are still living in a pandemic. Uh, There's assaults on our democracy from every angle. They're trying to restrict voting rights successfully. And all these things we're contending with, um, climate change, blah, blah, blah. Who else knows what's happening? And the expectation that is still on people, Mm -hmm. that we still internalize it, we're supposed to show up and And just- look a certain way. And look a certain way and just be together like have our stuff together baby we don't know i mean COVID is going to be coveting it's doing all these things and we're holding that at all times so that is like that's that's another type of trauma that that we're inflicting on ourselves and each other by still holding this expectation that we're supposed to be perfect and have it all together and so and the the impact of what you just talked about i don't think we'll fully understand for like the next 10 years I think in about 10 years, seven to 10 years, Mm -hmm. we're going to get data Mm -hmm. and people can't, they, you know, I hear people talking about, and then we going to find out that in these vaccinations, listen, what I'm saying is we going to find out that the collective (laughs) and communal trauma Mm. that we have experienced has impacted so much. So So what we're doing is we're saying, how do we mitigate this? How do we come in, understand our humanity? and lean into the things that we need. It's so important. Luna, we could talk forever. Before we go though, there is one thing I do want to talk about just a little bit and that's stand-up comedy. Oh, yes. I remember, so, okay, I'm funny. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to own it. But for the longest, like I would say, people think I'm funny. I don't think I'm funny. And the more serious I was, the harder people laughed, I think. And I would be like, like, I'm not even being funny. But I don't remember the details specifically, but I remember one time and one time only, I tried to be intentionally funny and it bombed big time, right? And I was, I don't know, middle school or something. And I made the decision then I could never be a stand-up comic, like ever, because I tried to be funny. But what I realized, and I can realize it in myself in the feedback that I get that any training, anytime I'm in front of a group of people, it's like going to church, going to the comedy club and going to therapy all wrapped up in one. And I realized that stand-up comedy, at least for me, and I just mean that I'm being funny while standing, (laughs) is that... (laughs) It was, it's so, I'm not trying to be funny, but I, I, I do have a really good mastery of like, well, I was a theater, I concentrated in theater. So tone and I use my voice and levels and all, and all of that plays into hitting a punchline, you know, building up and doing all of that stuff. But I don't consciously think like, oh, I'm funny. I'm being a comedian. I'm just trying to get y'all to understand how your brain and body work. So that's on my side. But I am so intrigued by the person who is like, I am going to stand up and make a room full of people laugh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, let me tell you why you're funny. This is why you're funny. Okay. And this is what, to me, what people, when they go listen to stand-up comedy, what they're look, 
what they're listening for, what they're hoping to find is the truth of our humanity and why you're funny is because you're so real, right? It's because you can say, I went to bed. You know what I mean? Like that is what, when, when, when you're able to like own that and name the things that you're struggling with, what, what it does is someone else is listening to that and they're just like, ha, 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 me too. And that laughter is the release of like, oh, I see myself, right? Or that that's something about me that I see. And that's really, you know, I, I stopped calling myself, I, I am very much a stand-up comedian. I have a show on Wednesday, hey. I'm, I stopped calling myself a stand-up comedian in my head and I've been calling myself a clown. Like, because at the end of the day, I am a clown because I, I try to mirror the absurdity of life mm. back at, at people. And I think for me, I was a theater kid growing up. I did not necessarily uh, intentionally try, I never aspired to be a stand-up comedian. I literally stumbled upon an open mic when I was in San Francisco because it was in my neighborhood. And at the time I was a therapist and I needed a place to release from like the holding the the trauma that I held during the day. I needed to do something else completely creative to take me out of that space. And so I started doing stand-up comedy for fun, but I got booked right away. And then after maybe two years of being booked on shows, I was like, well, maybe I should just like lean into this and, and actually try it. And I still am at this point where I love, I mean, I'm in Chicago now, so I should be going out for shows, but I'm literally like, y'all know where I'm at. Call me if you want to want me on a show. <laughs> and so I still do shows. Uh, but I think, you know, speaking to the question you rose earlier, like, what's the goal? Like, I'm not necessarily trying to be famous doing stand-up comedy. I just really like it as a medium of exploration um, for truth because it's the one place where, and I used to have jokes about this, like, you know, one of my, one of my first jokes was like, I got into stand-up comedy because I wanted to publicly talk about my vagina. And you can't do that as a social worker. You just re-traumatize people, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, it's the one place where I could really be like my full self. Like some people go on stage and they're like, okay, here I go. But now I'm just like, Whew, let me tell you about the sex I had last night. You know, I could really just let it out, mm -hmm. you know? And that's what calls me to the stage. It's just the freedom of expression and the freedom of like, you could be safe. And what I found, this is what I found, was that I could make, I could do a working in an organization. I could talk about racism and throw like slides and information at people. Or I could tell a joke talking about my vagina that has undertones of intersectionality, exploring like the impact of racism on me, a black woman. And I saw people get it quicker. Mm -hmm. Laughter is the quickest way, right? So yep. I saw people like get it quicker in a joke than, than, than me like pulling out the slides and, and, and doing all this work. And so, yeah. you know, like one of the things I say about myself is like, first I'll make you laugh, then I'll make you listen, you know? And I think that you do the same, right? Like that's, that's to me, that's true humor is just the realness and the vulnerability and the being like, I slipped in a banana peel, but we all are, right? Like, yeah, no, that's real. And that's dope because what you just said was like, oh, like everything you said, but then you said, it was like, that's it. What the difference between the elementary school kindergarten teacher and the sixth grade teacher is whether the kindergarten teacher understands it or not, they're helping children learn through dopamine. 
So they are rewarding the incoming of data through laughter, movement, play, and the sixth grade teacher is not. And so the kids, you know, they, they're singing this song and they know these things, right? The first time my kids came home and they were like, days of the week, 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 there's Monday and there's Tuesday, then Wednesday. And I was like, oh, right now my kids will still be like, what's today? Right? But they caught that song because it's fun and it's catchy, right? And, and they're rewarded for that. And then the sixth graders, you should know this, but that, that's exactly what you're describing, right? These slides, and we go into trainings oftentimes, and we're like, sit here and listen to me talk at you about this concept. But instead, when we go get into this small group and tell the funniest thing that happened to you this week, and the dopamine is like the, the police escort, <laughs> <laughs> or or whatever that thing is into our understanding. So anyway, I I that that's it. And 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 it is real. I think it was when I decided that or began deciding that my humanity was something that needed this was not something that needed to be hidden. Mm. that my humanity was something that I get to live out loud and like you said then that gives other people permission to live out loud. Um that that is it the release um of the laughter and the dopamine so that's dope that thank you I appreciate that um and also I think the lesson here is don't say what you won't do like I also never thought I would be a therapist because I only saw one version of therapy at one point and I was like who want to do that (laughs) so unbox yourself (laughs) and allow yourself those narratives yeah those narratives those roles you've been assigned there's what I love about having been a therapist now a facilitator, consultant, comedian, is that I'm like, there's so many different languages that are saying the same goddamn thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know yep. I mean? like, we're, we're saying, we're exploring similar concepts using different languages and frameworks. But at the end of the day, we, it's, humanity. We are, it's, our, it's our humanity and we've been boxed in. Yeah. Right? Well, listen, like literally, and we know we can talk for hours, usually over a nice drink somewhere like Puerto Rico. We have to do that again. But uh, (laughs) I just want to say that I always appreciate when we get to kick it. And thank you so much. You know, what I've said is Luna is not a first time guest on this podcast, um, but she, this is the first time she's been on as a solo guest when we weren't um, with other people. So a long time coming, but I'm super excited that you are here and just, I love you. Keep doing you. you and we will keep collaborating. Um, if people heard something, and I know they heard plenty, they're intrigued, and they like, tell me more about this Joy channel, or they just got a question for you, or they want to book you for their comedy show, how can people find you? You can find me at joychannel.org. You could um, email me uh, at luna at joychannel.org. You can find, I'm easily found. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For better or for worse, but you know, just like explore I, our Instagram. Um, shout out to my social media queen, Bossy, who's holding our Instagram down. We're dropping little links, little gifts. We we're really trying to shift the culture, and we're doing that in a lot of ways. So make sure you follow us on Instagram at Find Your Joy Channel, and yeah, just just holler at us because we are out here. Uh, have a team of uh, creatives and change agents that are really collaboratively working in a lot of multidisciplinary ways uh, to bring, to shift culture, to bring more joy into our world as we are experiencing the impact of all these things that are impacting us. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that, Luna. Thank you so much. I'm going to thank Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg of Instant Classic Media, and of course, to you, my listeners. I appreciate y'all. Y'all got a good one today. If you want to reach out to me, please find me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We do now have a section. If you have suggestions for content or guests, you can put that in the website. We're on all the major social media outlets. We, I, we even got a TikTok now. And so head on over and check out our uh, our Food for Thoughts on Wednesdays. We have our YouTube channel where all of our Therapy Thursday videos are housed. And if you have not already, go ahead and give us, rate the podcast, give us a review, share it with your friends until we connect again. You all be well. <laughs>